0: happening? This is Ryan here for the scale up show. I have Lloyd Lobo from boast AI who scaled it from zero to 10 million plus had an exit on top of that to created a whole entire community, let it go to market motion from a community led growth. Now wrote a book about it, shares all the details from it and how you could grow, create a movement from scratch and then level up for your next opportunity. Talks an amazing breakdown of how to bootstrap your way through it and avoid giving up all your equity, all your freedom to investors. You're not going to want to miss this. It was a great episode by Lloyd. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions and this show is the answer. Welcome everybody to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Lloyd Lobo, who is an entrepreneur, podcast host, community builder, and experienced Gulf War young refugee from Kuwait originally. He was the co founder of Boast AI, and he leveraged a community led growth model to bootstrap a company to an eight figure revenue and secure over 100 million in funding, and then also co founded the Community Traction, which he's now writing a book about that's soon to be released from grassroots to greatness on how to execute a community-led growth model. Lloyd, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man.
1: Stoked to be here. Thanks for hosting me. A lot of energy. Now, you you, you, you know, you attract the energy you give out. So we're going to see who's going to be bouncing off the walls more. <laughs> well, if
0: you're watching on YouTube right now, I, I mean, I don't think I could conceivably have more energy than Lloyd's hat. Like, I mean, it's just absolute <laughs> fire. That sounds like a dad joke, but it is, right? Um, so anyways,
1: I'm, it's a flaming, it's a flaming Lobo. I think, you know, at the launch party for the book, my drink needs to be the flaming Lobo. You gave me the I idea. Think you should do that, man.
0: And then you get, you get launch it out and it'd be fantastic. So anyways, before we get like too off the beaten path, um, we'd love to give folks just a little bit about your background and, and kind of what you're doing. Cause like, I know we met, we've, we've had a couple chats before coming on here love meeting you, love what you've done and just kind of like how you made shit happen uh, via bootstrapping. I have massive respect for that. So why don't you share your backstory, man? Like how, how you got to this point and then just the journey along the way because it's highly unique and then like love what you're doing with the book coming out soon too that I'm, I'm excited to read.
1: Definitely. So, you know, the journey starts way back when, when I was a refugee of the Gulf War, right? I was eight or nine years old and I used to procrastinate on everything. I studied for a math exam, ended up being a geography exam. And I thought I like failed fifth grade or something. And my, or, or fourth grade rather, and, and my mom comes home one morning and she's like, I don't think you can go to school anymore <laughs> because the war has been hit. And my first reaction was, yes, you're never going to find out I failed fourth grade. And uh, when it sank in, I looked at the worry on everyone's face and I'm like, Things are real, right? Like currency is invalid. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. There's nothing. And that was my first experience, I would say, with entrepreneurship and also community. But Because entrepreneurship is all about making something from nothing while dealing with risk and uncertainty, right? Dealing with extreme risk and uncertainty to get to a positive outcome. And what is the war, right? When everything is to ashes, right? You're dealing with extreme risk and uncertainty to get to a positive outcome. And so that was my first experience with entrepreneurship and community went down the building with my dad and saw a bunch of worried faces and everyone started coordinating. It came together from grassroots. My dad's like, Hey, I'll guard the building from this time to this time. And somebody else was like, Yes, and I'll come for this other time. And so we, there were no phones, so people would just keep their word. Somebody would say, "I'll coordinate food and supplies for the building," and every building became a sub-community. And that word of mouth spread, coordinated with the individual, uh, with different countries, organized buses, and evacuated people to safety. So that was my first experience with entrepreneurship at community. Wow, eventually, made our way to eventually made our way to Canada. Um, finagled myself into engineering, finished engineering. I asked an entrepreneur, what is the best skill I could have if I want to be an entrepreneur like you? And, and he said, sales. And so after I graduated engineering, the first job I took was cold calling for a tech company because they wouldn't give me a sales job. They're like, let's try you out. You're an engineer. You're going to suck at this. (laughs) Right. And, uh, My parents were so embarrassed that their son is making $30,000 a year dialing for dollars while other people who graduated software engineering are at Microsoft and everything else. But fast forward today, it's the one skill that I use everywhere, right? It teaches you to pivot on the fly, improve your messaging, communication, everything you are and you do as an entrepreneur is communicating, it's selling, like from convincing your spouse that you want to do another startup after a few failed ones. Convincing already employees to join on limited pay, to convincing investors, to convincing customers to buy stuff from you that doesn't exist, man. Convincing the media, convincing podcasters to interview you. <laughs> it's all communication. And so that was one of the most important skills for me. And then, you know, we leveraged community to bootstrap Boast to eight figures, 10 million in revenue. Our investors who bought half the company, we took money from a growth equity firm, cashed out while still maintaining two board seats. They also came to a community event we hosted. And then after I sold the company, after I exited the day-to-day of the business and moved to the board, I felt I lost my identity. Right? We had spent all this time, me and my co-founder, building this company, bootstramming it, sacrificed family, friends, everything. And one day you're not there, The money was good, but I never thought of it that way. I'm like, geez, I lost my tribe. I lost my identity. And I ended up depressed and just became insufferable, drinking, like partying, just went crazy. And my wife let me grieve. And then one day she comes up to me and she's like, listen, you might not get a third chance. Like you almost died of COVID and now you're in the state. I understand, but I understand where you're coming from with, you know it's it was your baby you sacrificed your family and friends and it was your identity but the glass is always half full you can be anywhere you want given your situation but you're choosing to mope if something happens to you your family is going to be the one left holding the bag And that night, I couldn't sleep and I looked across the room and there was this Peloton bike we had that had turned into a makeshift towel rack. (laughs) I dusted it off, hopped on the Peloton, an instructor comes on and I felt instantly connected to her. Robin Arzon is her name. And she was coming off maternity leave and said like, I can't ride. I just don't feel like doing it. I don't feel as strong. And then she yelled out like, self-pity is toxic. It's not... Uh, you know, it starts with one, one crank, one shift, one rider on the block. I am, I can with like Rocky's eye of the tiger playing in the background. And that one ride turned into two, into four, into a streak, into multiple streaks. And then I added over time, weightlifting and cleaned up my diet. And I felt that Peloton community brought me to sanity. And so I realized as I look back at my journey from the Gulf War to bootstrapping Bose to then, you know, fixing my mental health, community has been a central part of my life. And I said, with all this free time, what do I do? I don't have any startup ideas, but I'd love to educate the world and pay homage to to community. So I set out on this journey to talk to hundreds and thousands of, of people from hundreds of communities and interview them and understand best practices and how they build, scaled their communities.
0: That's awesome, man. Love that story. A lot we're gonna dig into there. Uh, that you just went through because you, you covered it's you know, and I always say that, man. It's it's hard to cover your life story in like like two minutes, right? <laughs> Which is what you just did and summarize kind of like everything that's happening. So let, let's start off with the beginning, man. Like, how did you effectively grow a $10 million company? Well, first of all, how long did it take to, to grow that to eight figures?
1: It took a long time because so when we started Boost, we started as a consulting firm as a services company. And I, I wrote deeply about this because when we when we had come together, we worked on a few ideas. Bose was a services firm. We also worked on a, a on a AI chatbot built on top of Zendesk in 2013 that failed. Then I went off and did a, a company called Speakeasy, which was a sales assistant, AI-driven sales assistant that also failed. And then we Pivoted Boast from a consulting firm because we had all these learnings in building technology, failed technology, that we said, hey, we have paying customers at Boast. Let's just put them on software. So we reincorporated the company as Boast AI in 2017. And that journey from 2017 to 2020 um, would say went yeah. 10 million ARR, right. In that 2017 to 2020. But, you know, it looks like a very short amount of time, but really we started both ended at 2011, early 2012. Okay, right. Gotcha. And as a consulting firm, we had accumulated a lot of customers that we then pivoted to both AI and put it as software. So I want to be real here that like, yes, you, you can win the lottery and it'll take two, three years to hit 10 million. That wasn't the case. So what right? were you consulting on? A-
0: like when you first started?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I talk about this a lot is like, hey, you know, what is the best way to bootstrap a company to 1 million ARR? And in fact, that's how we bootstrap Boast AI to 10 million with no investor money, right? And if you see UiPath, which is a 9 billion market cap company, And Basecamp also started this way, is sell a service. It seems like a bad word, especially in the VC world, right? Oh, it's low gross margins. Oh, you know, it's labor intensive. It's unscalable. It's too niche. But here's the thing, right? When you bootstrap a company by selling a service, one is like customers want an outcome. They don't want software. Nobody cares about marketing software. They, they They want leads, right? They don't want fitness apps. They want to get fit. So when a customer buys a service from you, you are being held accountable to deliver that outcome. And your job is to deliver that outcome by any means possible. The second thing is you get really good at selling, right? Not in the spammy, scammy way, which is buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. But really you're selling them a service, right? So you are selling an outcome. So you are basically actively listening and asking targeted questions. You'll gather valuable insights to tailor solutions that align precisely with their pains and goals. And in the process, you'll develop this strong relationship with them and be seen as a trusted advisor because you'll pull in resources as needed. So when we started consulting, really, we weren't offering a different service. We were just doing R&D tax credits manually. So what Boost does is we automate... Boast is a platform that automates access to research and development and innovation funding for businesses. We started by hedging that against government tax credits, meaning hundreds of billions of dollars available in innovation funding and government incentives for businesses. But it's a cumbersome application process. It's prone to frustrating audits and getting that money takes a long time. So we, we set out to solve that whole, whole supply chain, but we started with making, uh, automating and streamlining the application process and the audit process. And then once we got really good at it, we said we, t- we took a hundred million credit facility, line of credit, And we started front-loading cash to these companies Mm. so they don't have to wait a long time to get it from the government, right? Again, hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions globally. The US government gives out 10 billion every year in R&D incentives to fund businesses. Canadian government, 3 billion. Every Commonwealth country has it. They give anywhere from like 20% to 60, 70% of how much you're spending in product development, new product, existing product improvements, new product development but it's a cumbersome application process. You can get audited. Nobody wants to deal with that Uncle Sam. And then it takes a long time to get the money. So we started by just consulting, meaning manually filing the paperwork for this, right? And that's the beauty of it because we're two guys working out of a spare bedroom, competing with big four accounting firms, right? So you get really good at selling and more importantly, not just selling for the sake of selling, but relationship building, right? And, and that was key. And so we, we want our customers that way. You get good at customer success because you have no buttons or widgets to hide behind. Customers are paying you for an outcome. No outcome, no customer. Yeah. And then through that process of doing those applications manually, we knew exactly what to build because we knew the step-by-step process to deliver customer outcomes. Then we knew what to automate, what to delegate, what to eliminate, right? So like, for example, if you're collecting data manually, you know you have to build in integrations. If um, th- th- once you're pulling that data in, you know you got to write code to make sense of that data, and then you know you, the next, the last step is building workflows to digitize any of the manual tasks. But you won't know exactly what to build if you don't do the work manually. I mean, examples of this is like Paul Graham at YC says, do things that don't scale in the beginning, right? But a lot of people forget that and they start building software. They don't talk to customers, and it's you know. Th- This talking to customers has also become sort of misconstrued. Nobody's asking you to talk to customers to get information on what to build. Like, oh, tell me what feature you want. Tell me what to build. Because, you know, this, this whole like talk to customers thing is taken way out of proportion. I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they'll go and ask customers, hey, what do you want me to build? Like, oh, you have this problem. What should I build? How would they know? Like Henry Ford said, if you ask People, what they want, they're going to tell you, give me a faster horse. You got to hone in on the problem. You're asking about the problem, not about your solution. Fall in love with the problem and keep honing in on it. Try to solve that problem manually, then figure out the process to deliver the outcome manually. Then you know what to automate. Mm -hmm. Solution is on you. You're the expert. You're the genius. You're the tech whiz. Don't ask the customer for the solution. Ask them everything about the problem and then once you know what to build and you start like you know figuring out integrations to pull the data manually Uh, pull the data you were pulling manually, automatically. So you'll see some of your manual time go down. Then you normalize that data and you make sense of it. You apply analytics so you know what to do with that data. You'll see some of the manual time go down. Then you'll create workflow software to automate filling out forms and all this stuff. And you'll see some more of that time go down. And then your gross margins will go up. Your profit will go up. Your scalability will go up. And as, as a function of doing all of this, you'll get to millions in revenue with maximum control and no dilution. And you'll realize if you keep doing this consistently and sticking to it, you'll get to five, 10 million in revenue and you can, you don't have to raise money to grow your business. You can raise money to bring financial freedom to yourself and and still maintain control of your company and grow. So that's the route we took, but it was it was hard because there was never light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> until until there was right. Success is just compound interest on in doing one or two things consistently. Went over time. We had no marketing team till about 10 million. It was just doing a lot of events. Our BD people or more like community managers going out there, shaking hands, kissing babies, helping people, right? Fall in love with your customer and make them successful beyond your product or service. What is the greater purpose? Yes, you provide R&D funding, but what do people need R&D funding for? To accelerate innovation. Why do they want to accelerate innovation? To grow their business, to change the world, some deeper purpose. You got to connect to that and help them. And if you keep doing that, the compound interest on that plays out, right? Because we, when, we, when we started, nobody would talk to us, I said. Cold calling, cold emailing, wouldn't work. They'd just ignore us because big four were doing it. So what was a great way to, to anchor this? What was a great tactic to anchor this whole community building effort around? We're like, hey, we know a lot of people, influential people why don't we host meetups, inviting them to share their journey, much like you're doing with a podcast, but in-person meetups. The first meetup, 10 people showed up, then 20 people, then 30 people, because this was tactical advice on how they got from A to B to Z. And uh, nobody was sharing this. Podcasts weren't very prevalent at the time. And so they started sharing this information, more and more people would come. And one day there were 200 people in the co-working space and the GM of the co-working space is like, hey, you guys can't run full-blown conferences. It's no longer a pizza night. So that evolved into the Traction Conference and the community. And then when the pandemic hit, we had to cancel a conference. We had like 50 some odd speakers. Um, I didn't want to do a virtual summit because I can't sit through a two-day virtual summit. So we reached out to all the speakers and said, will you do a one-hour AMA-style live webinar with our audience? and that started hitting because hundreds of people would register we moved to two webinars a week and we did it very very consistently but the one theme that happened there right when you especially when you're bootstrapping there's a general theme here is like you got to be very visible you got to be credible and then maybe someday you'll be profitable but how do you become credible if you don't have inherent credibility you don't you know it takes a long time one great way to do that is brand rub associate with people who have a bigger brand or influence than you, attach yourself to them and you'll get their brand rub. You'll be visible. And as a function of being visible with them, you'll get some of their credibility. So by inviting notable people, notable entrepreneurs to our events to speak there, that drove the social proof for us. Our events got bigger. Our investors who bought the company also came from an event we hosted. So, so that was, it was, it wasn't like a hundred things we did. Literally, it was an SDR team that would reach out to the people we'd meet in the community and we'd do a lot of community events. Just those two things, no marketing, basic website. Yeah.
0: No, it's not stupid, man. It works, right? Like it's, it's the basics that a lot of people don't talk about. Let's, let's rewind a little bit and, then, and I want to like chip away at some of this. So with the consulting, did you did you have like long-term contracts uh, with, with clients when you did it just year over year or was it more project-based?
1: It was year over year because the thing is, R&D, so the, the one thing when you pick a service to remember is building a service is a great way to bootstrap, right? That's how um, UiPath did. And they had one of the biggest IPOs in the last couple of years, right? They were selling and Robot like a like a basically robotic process automation service. They were building tooling, and Basecamp also was an agency before Basecamp came out. Um, if you want to build start a company and bootstrap it, doing a service is great. What makes it even better is if it's in an industry that's largely ancient and manual, right? Like jangling together multiple tools, and it's a recurring need. So the one thing that was so Tax credits, just anything taxation is a largely manual, ancient industry. It's regulated. But the second thing is there's also a recurring need, right? Every year you got to file for this. And so we, la- we, we pick that combination because then it lends itself very well to SaaS because once you automate it, people are using, going to need it every, 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 every single year.
0: Yeah, I think that's good, man. Like really sharp solution design because that's what I think a lot of consultants run into is project-based work versus continual repeatable revenue. So that makes a lot of sense. Love what you did in terms of like wrapping up, having the meetups, growing those over time, doing almost like an in-person podcast, if you will, it kind of sounds like back in the day, you know what I mean? So, um, so I think that's, that's, that's great. And then, so 2020 came around. Why, why did you decide to sell the company and then leave the day-to-day? Like what went into the decision with that? And like, kind of, how did you decide to do that?
1: You know, so 2020, a lot of investor interest came into the market. So we started getting hit up as well. And the one thing, my co-founder, Alex, a very rational, smart, right? He's a combination of engineering and accounting. He always said, we'll take money if we can turn $1 into $3. But we've also bootstrapped. I want to maintain control. And I don't want to be in you know build somebody else's definition of success basically right he's right. like we'll take the money if it de-risks us he's like we bootstrap the company after all these years of effort right first a services company then pivoted to product company after all these years of effort it's finally making money why did you take some venture capitalist money who wants to buy stake in the company and then now you're running running again and it could be boom or bust he's like I I wouldn't take it. Right. So he was against that. My wife, on the other hand, she's like, You've only worked at startups since you graduated. None of those startups succeeded. They were all venture backed. So let's caveat you've only worked at venture backed startups since you graduated. None of them have succeeded. And what are the odds here? You're going to do this again. And she's like, If you do another startup that's venture backed and it goes boom or bust, I can't keep supporting the family. You're going to have to get a job at like, Salesforce or Oracle or some stable company. I'm like, geez. And so, you know, we hosted our attraction event in Toronto when that window opened of IRL event. And we met the guys at Radian Capital. One of the partners was a speaker. And she introduced me to the founder of the firm. And he's like, Hey, I want you to join our vent. I would like for you to join our venture partner network. And we'll give you carry in the deals you pass on to us. And he's like, You've built this great community. It's epic. Um, you know that would, it would be great to partner. Um, and I'm like, listen, man, I have a business to run and I don't think I can do this. The community stuff is just like, you know, my give back, my paying it forward, the traction money, mostly goes to fund a nonprofit called launch Academy, which is, um, an incubator, a nonprofit incubator. And he's like, what does your business do? And I, I told him what we do. And he's like, what you're selling a hundred dollar bills for $20. And people don't pay you until they get the money from the government and you automate this process. So He's like, we would be interested in investing in a company like this. And I'm like, listen, man, we're not, we're not in- interested in investors uh, because of X, Y, Z reasons, right? Like, you know, I've only been a part of failed companies. My co-founder is, you know, anti-VC, controlling your own destiny. He's like, no, we're not a typical VC. You know, there's VC, which they give you money for growth and you know, grow, 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 and they want to see a hundred X return. And there's private equity that buys your company there. He's like, we're in between. We're a firm, we're a growth equity firm. We invest in companies that have like five to 15, 20 million in revenue. And we'd like to make like five to seven X the valuation in five to seven years, like nothing aggressive. Right. And we like to liquidate the founders as a part of it. So you can de-risk yourself financially while also maintaining stake in your company. And that, when he said money off the table, when he said like, you know, liquidate yourself, de-risk yourself in the middle of the pandemic with anything could happen, that was music to our ears. Talk to Alex. He's like, yeah, this makes sense. We furthered conversations. It was a few month due diligence process because, you know, it's not like a VC that's just writing a check. They're buying a portion of your company. We end up selling like 52 or 53% of the company and, uh, and then me and Alex, over time, transitioned uh, to the board. We brought in a new CEO who was previously uh, CTO at Sage Intact, which is trading at over $10 billion market cap. So it, it ended up being um, a good decision for us uh, financially. And the whole thing was de risk ourselves. We worked so hard to build something, and we didn't want to take VC money and then go bust. You know, hindsight, this played out well, right? Everyone who took who went down the unicorn porn chase in 2020 is now suffering, right? What happens is, Oh yeah. You've got to shut down company, give back money. Um, You, when you raise at a very high valuation, you're not seeing your company's value that today. You're basically signaling that I got to grow into this valuation. Now Mm -hmm. I've met, Tons of founders who are at two, three million raised at five, 600 million valuation, a billion dollar valuation. Companies at 10 million, our peers, raised that billion dollar valuation. Now, here's what happened during COVID. It was a black swan event. Everyone had to transact online overnight or else risk being out of business. So if you had to transact online, you're buying Zoom, you're putting your stuff on DoorDash, even if you're offline, like you never intended to go online, you're, now everyone's doing online delivery. You need Snowflake, you need Zoom, you need Shopify. They rolled forward, the market, you know, the tech industry rolled forward a few years worth of market into one year because everyone needed to transact online. If you didn't buy any of these online tools that, uh, or digitally transform in 2020 or 2021, What are the odds that you're going to in 2022 or 23? Basically, everyone who needed to digitally transform, they did in 2020 and 2021. And so what happened was as 2022 rolled around, growth started to fall, coupled with the interest rates going up. And every time the interest rate goes up comes a recession in some fashion, right? Interest rates are up. Growth went down. Stock market tanked, right? The interest rates tied heavily. The you know stock market tied heavily to the interest rates, and VCs are like started slashing valuations. Now these companies that were, say, let's say you were at ten million. Let's say we were at ten million and we took an obscene valuation. Let's say we even took like a half a billion dollar valuation, and and then it, during that time when growth faltered, we didn't grow three x or two x. We grew like fifty percent. So now all of a sudden, you turned yourself into a zombie company because you're not growing fast enough to hit that valuation. And if you spent the money, it's even worse because if you went out to raise, and let's say you went from, let's say in the two years, you even grew 100%, you went to 20 million. Is your company worth 500 million or a billion? Hell no. The market's trading at four to six. There's no way you're going to command even 10x. So now all of a sudden you're grossly overvalued at best you're worth 200 million mm. at best at best which you're not right at 10 million at right. best maybe at best you're worth a hundred million but now you took a half a billion valuation so if you go to raise you're going to wipe out your whole cap this is a zombie company right Yeah, and so so that's what happens. Is like it's always the uh, you know those with insatiable hunger and greed for money and power that ruin it for the (laughs) the rest of the world. Yeah, but like this led to banks falling, right? Like this trickled massive trickle down effect, right? So the point I was trying to make is uh, through some foresight, being frugal bootstrappers. We made the right decision for us, not build somebody else's definition of success, build your own definition of success, and, and did a deal at a reasonable valuation that we don't need to grow into. And as a function of that, we were able to cash out. Now, if you took VC money, they would never let us cash out, right? They're like, everything is going in the balance sheet. We want to see growth, growth, growth. Here, because the valuation was reasonable, so we could also cash out and de-risk ourselves put a little on the balance sheet and, and transition, right? So yeah, that was, uh, sense, that was a decision-making process. Well, let's, so
0: let's shift gears a little bit. So what about now, man? Like talk to me about the book, the community-led growth book that, that you created and is about to be launched. What's it, what's the date it's being launched? Just so you, the listener, so we're So
1: we're doing the pre-sale, end of next week. So end of next week being August 16th is the pre-sale and the book launch date is September 12th. So we'll do the pre-sale and then um, for a few weeks we'll promote it and then go into full-blown sales mode. It'll be on Amazon. It'll be on lloydlobo.com. There's an E in my name, as I said, my mom wanted to, my mom always aspired for me to be an entrepreneur. And she said, if I ever became an entrepreneur, a, a generic name like Lloyd, I wouldn't be able to trademark. So she threw an E in there. I was bullied as a kid. So I'd always cry and be like, why did you do this? And she'd be like, listen, someday you're going to be an entrepreneur. You want to trademark. I'm thankful because that vision, sometimes it's a law of attraction. You will things into (laughs) existence just by saying it loud a lot. And my mom did that, but it's on LloydLobo.com or from grassroots to greatness.com. And, uh, yeah, so that that's when it'll be live.
0: So give us the breakdown, man. Give us like uh, I don't know, the 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 high level of like what's covered in the book and then like what's the outcome someone would look to get from from reading it. Cause I, I'm definitely interested, man. Like huge believer in community, especially with kind of what's happening with AI coming forward. I think it's gonna create some ridiculous changes. Not that AI's AI coming forward um hasn't been around, but I'm just saying the rate at which it's coming and and some of the changes. So so talk us through it, man. What, what, what's? Give us the details in the
1: book. Definitely. So, you know, the, the high level on this is, you know, marketing is taking a bloodbath, right, in 2023 with, with everything that's happening. And CPMs are up, TikTok, Facebook, everything costs twice as much to generate the same results. And you we talked about uh, generative AI is coming. Everything, uh, yeah. I don't know, now that I see content, everything seems like it's auto-generated from somewhere, right? Consumers are tired though, right? Businesses are spending less and less on marketing. Consumers are tired of clickbait, of spam, of ads, of pop-ups, seeing the same crap over and over again. Businesses are going away from relationship building when that's the only thing that matters and that's the only way to stand out. If you see, back in the day, Harley-Davidson almost went bankrupt when the Japanese manufacturers came. They rebuilt the company on the ethos of community. Employees became writers. They started writer clubs. Writers became employees that had oversight from the president. Community was a business strategy, not a marketing strategy. Community created a huge Save a Harley campaign. Today they create campaigns, fundraising campaigns for breast cancer and and every conceivable disease out there. And... It's an iconic brand. You can recognize a Harley Davidson fan just by what they're wearing, right? And so that was, a, that was a thesis behind it is these big brands exist. How do you leverage their learning? So I end up talking to hundreds, thousands of people from hundreds of companies and communities asking the same questions over and over again. And a few things I came upon as a, as a function of that. One is a, a common framework which are common traits of every successful community. It sounds very cheesy, but it's called, it's called camper. Connection, autonomy, mastery, purpose, energy, recognition. So it starts with unleash camper. And the reason why camper is important is because a lot of people today want to start community just to make money, right? It's like the question I get most frequent, I want to start a community. When will I start seeing results? When would I start seeing revenue from it? And if you want to start a community to generate results and revenue from like day one, just don't do it. Don't, because your audience, your community is going to see you as inauthentic and they're just, it's just going to wither. Or the minute you lose motivation, the minute you lose motivation, you're going to stop, right? It's going to wither away. So you have to have a bigger sense of purpose that goes beyond your product or service, right? Community is all about falling in love with your customer, your tribe beyond your product or service and, and making them successful beyond your product or service. So yeah, you need to have that. And camper is a great way to institute it. I can dive a little bit into, into the camper framework and you into, yeah, you, definitely man. Want.
0: Go, go into it. I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah. So as I talked to thousands of these founders and, and leaders, the six common traits were, were, created the acronym CAMPER, which is Connection, Autonomy, Mastery, Purpose, Energy, and Recognition. And I say this is very cheesy, but if you proactively institute CAMPER in your company, you'll have happy campers. So, the, the first common thing was connection, right? These, they foster genuine bonds. These companies build bridges, nurture relationships. Because when people feel connected, it empowers them to support one another and grow. A great example is CrossFit or Peloton, right? Through these immersive community experiences, they turn individual people who would work out individually, otherwise into, into a community like Peloton, like their experience is entirely in virtual, but solo riders are now part of a community. I, when I suffered these mental health issues and I hopped on the Peloton, I told you about, I felt in, instantly connected to the instructor. There were riders high-fiving me and I felt, I found this genuine sense of connection who would think, right? Like sweating and working out together, even virtually it leads to a sense of camaraderie. Yeah, no, it's true, man. Yeah. The the second one, exactly. And, and, you know, the second one is autonomy. When people have the space to make their own decisions, they take ownership and drive innovation. Basecamp, a great example, bootstrap company, right? They got tens of millions in profits with only 80 employees working 40 hours a week and no investors. They champion Uh a culture of autonomy through remote work and self-management. Even, even crazier is Basecamp created Ruby on Rails. Thousands upon thousands of companies, iconic brands are built on top of the Ruby on Rails framework, right? You Mm -hmm. don't do that by not giving people autonomy. Autonomy is crucial to a thriving, scaling community. If you try to control it, it dies. The third thing is mastery. When you help individuals become experts in their fields, they not only drive growth, but also inspire others to reach their Mm -hmm. full potential. You help people hone skills. Another great example, we just talked about generative AI, you see Adobe Photoshop has this autofill and it's going viral, right? You can fill the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen that one, actually. Yeah. So, you know, we, when you have an image, you can fill and you, you can click on the backgrounds and it automatically creates this. Background to suit it, so it could be you could have a crappy background and you could fill it you can you can create sceneries using generative AI how do things like that come about in a massive company worth billions right where it's so large Adobe has a kickbox program which provides employees with resources mentorship, and funding to explore new ideas and projects basically they're enabling their people to hone skills expand knowledge, and pursue excellence. The fourth one is purpose. They're united by a shared purpose that fuels motivation and provides meaning. I genuinely believe there's no good or bad people. There's people in the middle. Everyone is well-intentioned, but life happens, right? Stressors happen, negative energy, mortgage, salary, taxes, um, school payments, you name it, mortgage payments, car loans. Life happens. You get so busy that... Even if you want to create impact and do social good, you don't have the time. So when your community has a great purpose and you align people around that great purpose, even if they do a small job as a part of aligning with that purpose, they feel they're part of a bigger purpose. A a perfect example of this is when President Kennedy was walking the NASA and he saw a janitor at midnight sweeping the halls. And he asked, what are you doing here? And the janitor says, "Sir, I'm putting a man on the moon." That's what great purpose does, right? The person with the smallest role feels part of the big outcome you're creating, and that, that and that's needed because in 2023, where people are firing, companies are firing people left, right, and center. There's more opportunity than ever to be solopreneurs, right? Like you can be on, you can create content on LinkedIn and monetize your content. You can create a podcast and monetize it. You can just perform your skill on Fiverr or Upwork and get paid while driving Uber and DoorDash and make a living. So yeah. why would you work for somebody else and give up your time freedom if there is no purpose? So that is that is another big common trait I found is like there's a great, great sense of purpose. Patagonia, perfect example, right? They promote environmental stewardship by encouraging employees to volunteer. But they lead by example. They donate a percent of sales. The fifth one is energy, creating an atmosphere of enthusiasm. When your culture is vibrant, it sparks inspiration and endless possibilities flourish. You could have connection, autonomy, mastery, purpose. But if the energy is drab, you're just going to wither away, right? Have you ever been to a conference where you're surrounded by great people, great people that you love? You're connected to them, but the speaker rolls around and you're falling asleep and you just want to leave. Yeah. Energy totally is that. energy. Energy is really important. Uh, Red Bull, perfect example of a community that, you know, that incorporates energy through their extreme sport events, music festivals. Everything is very high energy, right? People are amped up. And the last one is recognition. Number six is recognition. When you celebrate achievements, big or small, and value people for what they bring to the table, when you do that proactively, they keep coming back for more. Nobody wants to feel like just another cog in the wheel. I'm I'm paying you and that's it. You know, this is your job. Do it. People want to feel rewarded, or else they'll go anywhere else. Right? A great example of this is GitLab's. They have a Heroes program that gamifies involvement and rewards top volunteers. So, like contributors get swag and support, and heroes get like unlimited software licenses, personalized assistance, and superheroes get like career coaching and direct access to GitLab's leaders. You know, this company had a multi-billion-dollar IPO, but back in the day in 2017, their servers went down and like they lost a lot of customer data this could have been like a company dying event, but their community came together to fix this problem. They fixed it. The community fixed it. And they said, you know what? Things happen. What matters is you communicated it transparently and you turned it around. And so how do you do that? Like when, you know, how do you get people? How do you motivate people? Right. You you have this camper and, and you communicate it. Communication ties everything. The job of a leader is to, communicate and clearly articulate the vision to inspire, energize, motivate people because people are inspired and energized. They can move mountains. It's not a one in day done activity, right? So it's, it's, it's you know, very important to communicate that constantly. When people say it's enough, that's when, you know, they've heard you, right? Otherwise people, uh, people forget. So that is, so that true, is the man. key is that, it's, it's, the, it's the camper framework. The second thing is figuring out what kind of community you want to build. So there is a community of practice where you teach people something, you educate people, people are coming together to learn, like HubSpot's inbound marketing program. I was an engineer whose first job was in sales, went into GTM. Everything I learned about GTM back in the day was through HubSpot's inbound marketing. As soon as I had some money to buy software, we bought hubspot <laughs> right so that's a that's a community of practice a community of product is basically turning your customers into evangelists it's all about educating them on your product how to use it how to become better at it how to integrate with it and the last one is community of play coming coming together to have fun now i tell people that if you are a young startup that doesn't have product market fit do not build a community of product build a community of practice you're helping customers become better versions of themselves. You're helping your audience, your ICP become successful beyond your product or service. So figure out not what your product does, but the aspiration or outcome it serves. Apple is a perfect example. They don't talk about their features. They talk about the aspiration of creativity, right? Yeah, and and their competitors And their competitors are talking about features that are better than Apple, but still Apple is the most valuable company on the planet. So when you, when you don't have product market fit, build a community of practice, sell the aspiration that they're looking to get to, right? And, and educate them around that. The next Hold one there, is man. figure. Next one is nail down your ICP. Figure out an underserved niche, identify their pains, find out where they eat, breathe, drink, sleep, What are their aspirations? What are their goals? How can you help them become better versions of themselves? Once you have that ICP nailed, draw their circle of influence, meaning what are the tools they pay for? This will give you, what are the tools and services they pay for? This will give you a list of potential partners. Who are the influencers they follow and listen to? So this will give you your list of speakers for your podcast or your conferences, right? And then, what other things they frequently visit, like what events, what magazines, what blogs, or podcasts. So this will give you another channel for distribution. You're basically trying to understand where do these people eat, breathe, and drink, and sleep so you can surround that circle of influence. Then you start by building an audience. You now talk to this niche, you've understood it, you've written down 100, 200 burning questions for your niche. So you can, if you had to write an encyclopedia, ultimate guide to XYZ, what would be the chapters, subchapters, and topics it would include? And then start creating content on the channels your audience is most prevalent. Once you start developing this audience, start bringing them together in person. In-person is indispensable to community building. Even the communities you think that are not in-person, like Yelp and Canva, actually do a lot of in-person meetups. We're sound and sight right now. If we were in person, it would be taste, touch, smell. And anytime you incorporate more than two senses, you start to build stronger, more genuine connections. We'd probably hang out for hours. We'd probably have drinks. We'd probably eat. We'd probably, you know, schedule the next meeting, right? We become friends. Like, interactions, when in person, turn into friendships or have potential to turn into friendships. And that's why, you know, people were so excited after the lockdowns were ended because they met so many new friends online that they wanted to meet in person, right? And that turned oh, yeah. into lifelong friendships. And, and so once you start building the audience, bring them together to create this community. Once you have the community get congregating regularly, give them a greater sense of purpose so they can create impact. A perfect example, Mr. Beast, biggest influencer of all time. Right. When he throws a campaign like, hey, let's raise 20 million to plant 20 million trees or let's raise 30 million to take out 30 million pounds of trash from the ocean or let's uh, let's heal a thousand blind people. It brings people together to create impact. We talked about the President Kennedy and the janitor case here. People may have a penny or a dollar, but they're like, as a part of this, I am curing a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And the compound interest when done over time on volume is not a penny anymore, right? Every drop makes an ocean, it becomes an ocean. That's how Mr. Beast came about, is a consistency. And, And the community now comes together to create impact, it becomes a movement. Once that movement has unwavering purpose or faith in its purpose, it becomes a cult or a religion. Everything from Christianity, every iconic brand, or iconic community from Christianity to CrossFit follows that path. Audience, community, movement, religion.
0: Love it, man. Well, I think that's that's a great breakdown. And, you know, we're, so what we'll do is we'll put a copy in the show notes of, of where they get the book. You know, of where you, the listener, can get the book. I'm, I'm going to check it out, man. A lot of great concepts identified in the camper methodology. I love how you put that together and then also create a movement. It's just absolutely huge. Something I'm focused on right now too. So um, unfortunately though, we are up on time. So where can people find you? Where can they find more about you and the book release? And then we'll wrap it up from
1: there. Definitely. lloydlobo.com or from grassroots to greatness.com. Double L-O-Y-E-D. Remember the E? <laughs> My mom wanted me to trademark that name someday, but LloydLobo.com. I'm Lloyd Lobo on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. Post a couple times a week get good engagement. Just advice on mental health, on bootstrapping, on community building, all things business. Tactical mostly on, on how I did it. And, and so follow me there. If you want to listen to our Traction community or join the Traction podcast, just search for TractionConf.com io on uh, on Spotify or Apple or just go to tractionconf.io. And if you want to get r and funding for your company, go to boast.ai. That's B-O-A-S-T dot A-I. But the book you can get on LloydLobo.com or from grassroots to greatness.com.
0: Love it, man. Well, thanks for being on the show. This is awesome. I, I love uh, connecting with you. Love the breakdown. So thanks for being on, Lloyd. Thank you so much. All right. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale-Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering